This is Urban Tiger Radio, a project supported by CybermouseMultimedia.com, sponsors of our free weekly podcasts. Search for Urban Tiger Radio in the iTunes Store or on Stitcher.com and hit the subscribe button to receive free automatic downloads. Please remember to share and rate our show before you leave. I'm Bill Allerton from Urban Tiger Radio and another friend of mine's come up this morning to do an interview with me and bring some of his music. This is Peter Smith, who I've known for many, many years now. Say hello, Peter. Hello there. Right. Uh, Peter's a musician, guitarist. I remember that he spent a fortune on a Martin guitar and then decided he'd stop playing because he had arthritis in his fingers. <laughs> so, so what's brought that back out of retirement, Peter? He never went into retirement, you know, kind of. Uh, I do, I still have problems with, with arthritis, but what I've tried to do is I find certain chords are quite difficult to play, so I've kind of adapted what I play to make it easier on my fingers, which is, I suppose, it's a strange thing, really. So now I play quite a lot in dadgad instead of concert. Right, okay. And I, I thought, find yeah. I don't have to hold chords down, which is what was hurting, you know. So. Yeah. I thought you'd found a, a new miracle cure for arthritis. No, but the doctor, when I went to the doctor and told him about it, he said, keep playing the guitar, it's the best thing. Yeah, keep, oh, right. You yeah, know, you've got to that. keep exercising your fingers yeah. or otherwise they will get really bad. Right. Uh, I remember uh, <laughs> you looking askance at me once when I wrote a sloppy poem for your wife's birthday. And... Uh, uh, where is it now, that poem? Uh, I think it's somewhere in the house. <laughs> but we've moved, haven't we? I mean, it, it yeah, was always moved. in the window, uh, on the windowsill in the dining room in the old house down Upperthorpe. Yeah. But we moved three years ago. And the house that we now live in, which is still in, just in Walkler, the old part of the house is a bit of a tip. We haven't done a great deal with it. And it's in there. I know it's in there. I've seen it. So it's not been thrown away. And I can't really remember thinking that I thought there was anything wrong with it. It's quite a nice poem, really. (laughs) (laughs) Actually, it came to me in the shower that, and by the time I got out of the shower, I'd written the thing in my head entire. And because I'd written it in my head like that, I can still remember it. And it's one of the few poems I can actually remember. So, well, and Annie's memorable too. She's a lovely lady and a good singer. (laughs) So, right, okay, tell me something, Peter. You brought, one of the tracks you brought today is Ecuador. Mm-hmm. And this Ecuador encompasses another part of your life. Would you like to tell me or expand on oh, that? Morris dancing. Ah, oh, you've yeah. said it. That's it. I've been Morris dancing for. Yeah, goodbye, everybody. Is a Morris dancer. Forty years. Yeah, yeah forty years 40 since nineteen seventy-six. No, so forty-one years, really. Yeah, I've been. It's been quite good, really. I, I think Morris dancing for me, anyway. You know, it's taken me to most of the countries in Europe and even to Ecuador, you know, so... How did you get into Morris dancing? What was your first sight of it, shall we say? Well, I think it went went Annie, really, because, you know, Annie's a percussionist. Yeah. Uh, And I... She was in a band, and one of the band members started a new Morris team, which was Sheffield City Morris. Uh, And he always said, why don't you join? And I said, no, no, it's not for me. A lad from the manor estate don't yeah. do Morris dancing. You know, it's a dangerous pastime. That. <laughs> I bump into lads yeah. from the manor and I'll get knifed. Um, so, kind of, uh, so I resisted. But then about a year later, I, I said, all right, we'll have a go at it. And I've been doing it ever since. 
Yeah. Are you still I, I loved it, it because it took me to places. Yeah, are you still enjoying it? I still do enjoy it, yeah. I, and it's yeah. still the social side. I still love the company. Cause the beer? Uh, the beer and the company because they're a great group of lads, you know, or men now. Yeah. type of thing and we've been together now for 30 40 years yeah so. I, well i know i know them i'm, I'm sort yeah. of nodding acquaintance with them i've seen them at your parties and yeah things like that but ecuador you were saying that the morris men have taken you all over the world tell me something about that well yeah i've been to various festivals in france in portugal uh in germany hungary a couple of times and i think at one festival we were at which was montoir in france and that was about something like 1989 1990 there was a dance director from south america from ecuador and he saw us dancing at Montoir and sent us an invitation saying, would we like to dance at the very first dance festival at the centre of the earth, which is Ecuador? So we were on the equator. And we managed to get a team together. About 40 of us went all together. You know, it was quite expensive. It cost me £5,000 to take the family. Uh, and we were there for a month. We were looked after by the Ecuadorian army. You know, driven around. Uh, we slept in barracks. Did you take all the family? Your daughters? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh. Two daughters and Anne as well. You know, kind of. Yeah, it took me five years to pay it off. <laughs> <laughs> well, at least you had that five years. Yeah, but it's great yeah. memories. You know, I still... I mean, I, I'd love to go back to Ecuador. Uh, and there were certainly... Um, there were a couple of people there that I would love to meet again, you know, but it's 1993 it was. Right. You don't even know whether they'll still be alive, you no. know. But if you, if you can't bring back the people, at least let's bring back the memory mm. of, of that uh, event by now playing Ecuador. Okay. Each new morn brings new surprises in this land of fire and snow The sun beats down on fields of plenty Life beats down on the urban poor Ecuador, una via Ecuador, oh Ecuador One way forward with the people All together sing Contrast, land of plenty, land of promise yet so far. Sing the words of a Wanamera, Sukaramartan and Bolivar. Ecuador, Univia, Ecuador, oh Ecuador. One way forward with the people, all together sing Sing for the Lord. 
land of mystery, land of culture, land of music, dance and song. Sing and dance for your children, for an age that's still to come. Ecuador, una via. Ecuador, oh, Ecuador. One way forward with the people, all together sing To your children, sing tomorrow, come day. Chimborazza, Cotta Pikesy, Ecuador stole my heart away. Ecuador, una via. Ecuador, oh, Ecuador. One way forward with the people, all together sing Thank you very much for Ecuador, and uh, I hope you do get to see your friends again. That would be uh, something of a mm. maybe would cap your life off nicely. Mm. Now, tell me about traveling because I know you've been to Ecuador, I know you've been all over with the Morris men, but I do know that you made quite a trek yourself, well, you and Annie. So tell me about that. Yeah, it was um, 2007, became 60, 16, 2007. So that makes me 70 now. And a very close friend, a musician friend, was performing or playing for a group of children, a, a children's dance team from Wakefield, I think, or around that area. area. And they were in Mallorca. And he suddenly just dropped dead. You know, that, that was... And it was such a shock that I suddenly decided that I'm 60, I can retire. It could be me, you know, I could be dead just like that. Let's do something before it's too late. So I kind of retired. And then looking, trying to work out how to get to... I wonder, always wanted to go to Australia. I was emigrating to Australia in 1967. Oh, £10 pom. £10 pom. Uh, and uh, I went to... During the summer, I went to Sidmouth Folk Festival. And I loved... That's when I got involved with folk music. And I loved the folk world so much that I... I decided not to go. Well, that was Australia's loss then. Well, probably. You could have uh, been singing about I, billabongs. And... <laughs> I've always <laughs> still wanted to see it. So uh, in 2007, I decided what I would do is we'd go to Australia. And then I looked for ways to get to Australia. And I'm terrified of flying. I hate flying. Don't like it at all. And so I was looking for alternatives. And I suddenly found there was a bus leaving London going to Australia over land. And it was only £3,500 apiece. What was the trip called? Uh, it's the Osbus. So um, the actual company was called Osbus. And it's, so, is it still running? No, I think they ran for a couple of years. And uh, and I think basically they, it, it must have cost them nearly as much as people were paying, yeah, really. Yeah. Because it included, it was 12 weeks to get to Australia over land. It included food, accommodation, you know, and transport. Um, and how so much was it? Three and a half thousand pounds. Expensive piece. flat bomb. Yeah, but it was yeah. good. It was good, you know. So um, off we went, you know, all the way across Europe. 
uh, into Turkey, through Turkey, into Iran, the Iranian, uh, through Balochistan Desert, into Pakistan, Pakistan into India, India up to Nepal, then back down to Calcutta and across to Thailand, Malaysia, Indonesia, and then a flight from Bali to Darwin, Australia, and then again picked up in Darwin, taken through the middle of Australia, all the way down to Adelaide, and then back up the east coast to Sydney. Was there a change of vehicle on route? Did uh, yeah, it was supposed to go all the way, but in fact, in actual fact, the bus that we travelled from London in turned back at Calcutta. It went back at Calcutta, and we were then flown to to Bangkok. Oh, that wouldn't go down well. It didn't, but at least it was only a couple of hours flight. <laughs> yeah, and then you had to get to Darwin, didn't you? So, uh, uh, and then there was a flight, that was a three-hour yeah. flight from yeah, what Darwin. What did they do, blindfold you? Uh, remember the A-team, they used to blindfold I'm, I'm okay, <laughs> providing I can get <laughs> a few diazepam down there and <laughs> quite a lot of alcohol. What do you reckon to Australia when you go there? I think Australia's a great country and um, absolutely beautiful. I loved Australia. I'd love to go back again. And we spent, once we got there, we spent two months travelling around Australia. Only the East Coast, though, Melbourne, Tasmania, you know, Sydney, that area, Blue Mountains. And then we went to New Zealand and spent two two months in New Zealand, a month on the South Island and a month on the North Island. And that is absolutely stunning. You know, I'd love to go back to Australia and New Zealand again. And I, I, I might just do it yet. Yeah, you've time. I've got time, yeah. You're only a young man, really. Yeah. Yeah, 70s, the new... Yeah, I'm doing a programme on, aren't they? On Monday, Panorama, about living at 100. Yeah. Yeah, so I've got 30 years. Well, Well, let's hope we're both. Uh, No, no. We're both pretty much of a match, actually. Right, tell me about your, your music. Where did you actually... I mean, we we know about the Morris dancing, and uh, so when did you first pick up the guitar? I bought a guitar. We uh, nineteen. I went to Sidmouth in '67. Got involved in folk music at Sidmouth. Met people who ran the folk clubs in Sheffield. So when we came back to Sheffield, started going to the folk clubs at the Grapes and the Barley Mow at the Three Cranes on Bank Street. Uh, and started just singing, unaccompanied singing. And then, and at this point, I met Anna, and we went off to uh, to Jersey. She went off to Jersey to get away from me. Oh, uh, yeah, so yeah. I kind of went through picking and to the festivals, and then she suddenly decided, she rang me up and said, um, I wish you were here in Jersey. And at that point, I, it was a Sunday night, and I was actually singing in the grapes when Lucy, the landlady, came up and opened the door and said, Peter, Annie's on the phone. So I finished the song, went downstairs. She made these comments. I put my coat on, went home, told me mum I'm going to Jersey and set off hitchhiking and I was there the next day. So it took me 24 hours to get to Jersey. Wow, like a moth to a flame. And to answer your question, I bought a guitar in Jersey and it was my levin for £18. Yeah. You know, and that's when I started trying to learn to play guitar. I'm a terrible guitarist, terrible. A bit different to the Martin you bought a few years ago. The Martin I bought in America, yeah. yeah. I was allowed to buy a Martin, providing if I stopped smoking. All oh, right. I was told <laughs> I could buy a Martin. So we were going to America for a month. So I stopped smoking for a year. 
I, I, I still don't. I bought the Martin in America. Yeah, now I know you write all your own lyrics. I do, yeah. Based on experience? I don't know. Yeah, it, I suppose it must be experience, but I certainly can't sit down. I've had people, you know, after I've been singing, come up to me and say, oh, can you write me a song about, you know, my granddad? <laughs> uh, and I remember this man in France saying, you know, I'm desperate. My granddad were a trade unionist. I'll send you all the information about him. How long will it take you to write a song about him? And I said, well, I don't work like that. You know, yeah. I never met him, don't know him. He hadn't had any impact on my life, really. So it tends to be I write about something that I do, and it happens. I don't think I'm going to write about this. It just suddenly happens. I don't know why. You like know. Ecuador. Like Ecuador, the, the you know. Ecuador. Ecuador. Well, coming up very shortly, you're going to sing us another song called Dancing So High. Oh, yeah. So do you want to just tell me yeah, the story behind we, this one? Yeah, we were on holiday with uh, the musician who I said died, you know, suddenly died in Mallorca. We were in Annecy in, in the French Alps. And Anne, my wife, when you came out of, you uh, walked around Annecy and looked up, the sky was just full of parachutes and canvas Oh, beautiful colours, you know. And these were people kind of taking off from the top of mountain tops and sailing over the lake at Annecy. And Annie suddenly decided, well, I want to do this. I want to do it. Let's investigate. So we kind of drove to the station 4,000 feet up, paid 50 euros and arranged for Anne to do it. You know, so kind of the next morning we went... Uh, drove back up to this station up on, uh, I'm trying to think of the Folklas. The mountain was called Folklas. We drove back up there and Annie strapped herself in between this Frenchman's legs, <laughs> a man called Philippe, and set off across Lake Annecy. But the night before, it suddenly occurred to me that I was fairly old at that time. I've always been ugly. I'm quite small. I've not got much hair left. There's not many teeth left. And I suddenly thought, this could be the end of my married life. <laughs> you know, something could seriously go wrong here. Yeah. I could finish up plummeting 4,000 feet into Lake Anasar. Or he could just fly off with her and off they go and then I'd never see them again, you yeah. know. So I sat down and the song came and that was it, you know. But really the song's about people who do things and people who keep talking about doing things. And Annie suddenly said, this is what I want to do, which to me was absolutely terrifying. You yeah. know, I told you about yeah. flying, yeah, I hate yeah. it. I thought it was absolutely terrifying. She suddenly decided, I want to do that. And there were people who were out there with us suddenly said, kind of, oh, I'd really like to do that. And I said, well, why don't you come? Oh, no, I'm going to wash my hair in the morning. Do you know right. what I mean? That kind of so, attitude. So Annie went ahead and did it. So Annie went ahead and did it. So, so the, the chorus is, is basically, it, it really is about people who do things and get on with it, get on with their life, and other people who just dream about doing things. Right, so let's have a listen to Dancing So High mm -hmm. and uh, a song about Annie between a Frenchman's thighs. So I look forward to that. Whilst walking with my true love Beneath the cold of class, Walking with my true love In the fullness of the day 
What did we spy but a bonny bunch of Frenchmen Leaping from the mountain tops to pass the time away Dancing so high like a prima ballerina Sailing the sky like a clipper on the sea We reach as we try to join them on their journeys Then watch our life go by from the safety of our dream A sky of technolanium, the colours of the rainbow The air filled with rhythm as the thermals danced in play when down swooped Philippe on his tandem parapenta Cradled in his thighs, he stole my love away Dancing so high like a prima ballerina Sailing the sky like a clipper on the sea We reach as we try to join them on their journeys Then watch our life reply from the safety of our dreams some say they flew to Paris to see the Eiffel Tower Others said to Lyon to settle by the Rhone But I took the car, me kids and me memories Caught the Dover Ferry to live a life alone Dancing so high like a prima ballerina Sailing the sky like a clipper on the sea We reach as we try to join them on their journeys Then watch our life get by from the safety of our dreams So listen all you young men, there's a warning in my story Never take your sweethearts to the mountains in France When Frenchmen are leaping, young maids are waiting To cradle in their thighs and do the thermal dance Dancing so high like a prima ballerina Sailing the sky like a clipper on the sea We reach as we try to join them on their journeys Then watch our life depart from the safety of our dreams Dancing so high like a prima ballerina Sailing the sky like a clipper on the sea We reach as we try to join them on their journeys Then watch our life depart from the safety of our dreams Watch our lives get by from the safety of our dreams. Watch our lives get by from the safety of our dreams. Watch our lives get by from the safety of our Well, thank you very much, Peter, for dancing so high, and I'm glad you got Annie back. Now, I've known you for a long time, and I sort of know where your political affiliations are. And you mentioned trade unionists in France before. Have you always been sort of left-leaning? Yeah, I think politically? so. Well, I mean, I grew up on the manor estate. Um, my dad was miner, and I kind of I worked down down the mine for eighteen months, and then I went into engineering, and I was always in a union, you know, and kind of. I don't. I don't really think about it. It just seems to me to be morally correct, mm. you know, that working people have been exploited for a thousand years or so, and you need to be on their side. That's where I come from. I'm working class. Yeah, well, you know, and it's kind of so. Quite often, the songs I sing have some political content, and yeah. usually sympathetic towards working people. 
Yes, I've heard a few of them. <laughs> so uh, sometimes they're more than sympathetic. But there you go. But you, you ended your working life as a, a lecturer. Yeah, I did. But I was where still in was, the union. Where was that at? Well, I worked at Sheffield College. So I worked at Sheffield College for nearly 30 years. Yeah. You know, even though I went started when I were when I was fifteen, I worked at T C Harrison's, and then I went to work at uh, Hansworth Pitt. Then I left there and went into engineering, and spent about another seven years working in engineering. At that point, I said, "Well, it's when we came back from Jersey. I told you we went to live yeah, in Jersey. Yeah. When we came back from there, I decided I wanted to become a teacher." So then I actually started going to night class to do O-levels, went to Rotherham Art College to do A-levels and then to Sheffield University to do a degree in politics, politics and history anyway, and then to the Polytechnic as it was then to do a teaching certificate. Then I started teaching. And what were you teaching? Well, it was supposed to be history. But at that point in 1981, Mrs Thatcher really didn't want history teachers or anybody, you know, were teaching politics. So I finished up teaching general studies and it were communications. And eventually I finished up teaching IT. I went from the past to the future. You sort of expect 11-year-old children to be teaching you how to work IT, don't you? Well, nowadays, yeah, but this is the early period, isn't it? Yeah. Well, when I start teaching IT, what nineties, nineteen nineties, but I were only teaching basic IT yeah. because I didn't have a degree in 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 IT or anything to do with it. What yeah. was the high spot of your working life? Which did you enjoy the most? I enjoyed the kids. I enjoyed working with the kids. You know, kind of. Yeah, I think probably just working with the kids and being in a nice situation, listening to uh, kids' stories, and you know. Kind of, but the older you got, the kind of the further away you became from the kids. So, you know, when you're in your 20s and your 30s, you're not that far away from a 16 year old. But once you get to 50 and 60, you're miles away from them. They're in a different world to you completely. And it's very, very hard to accept the world that they're in. You know, because it's so much different from you and you think so much inferior than the world that you live in. So really, it gets quite harder. I don't, anybody trying to teach in the 60s and 70s, I think it's virtually impossible. I find that I feel the world actually gets shallower as, as I get older. There's, there's more for them to do and uh, in yeah. fact, there's more for me to do. But I don't know, we, I, I, looking back, I think we had a, something of a depth yeah, well, I, they seem to have more distraction. Hmm. You know, certainly if you're teaching IT and they're on the internet all the time, you know, and look kind of, and they've got mobile phones and there's music playing out all the time, you know, it's just, there's so yeah. much distraction. Do you think your music's changed over that period? No, my songs, not really. I, I think, um, not really changed that much. I don't think it's possible to change it. You can't suddenly go from singing folk songs to singing jazz or... No. Well, I can't anyway, because I'm not a good enough musician. Well, how is it... Because you're involved in it, you should be able to answer me this one. How, how has the folk scene evolved over that period, or hasn't it? Has it remained static for the last 40 years? No, I think it's evolved quite quite considerably, really. I mean, the good thing about the folk scene now is there's lots of really great young musicians. 
you know, are really good musicians. You know, and Sheffield is very much the centre of the folk, well, certainly uh, the British folk scene at the moment, you know, we've got so many good musicians who live in Sheffield. Martin Simpson, probably one of the best guitarists in the world. James and Nancy, uh, James Fagan, Nancy Kerr, Richard and Jess Arrowsmith, John Bowden, Faye Eild, Roy Bailey, you know, just to name a few. Besides the likes of Richard Orley, who you wouldn't consider him to be a folk singer, but he's very much on the edge of it, you know. He's kind of quite sympathetic. He's very Sheffield too. When yeah, you he is. To yeah, him. yeah. His songs, like me and yeah, his songs yeah. are very much, you know, Cold Corner yeah. and things like that. Yeah, you know, kind of. Right. Okay. Well, combining history and folk and and a sense of uh, a sense of Sheffield and maybe industrialization and anti-war politics, uh, your next song is going to be. Sheffield in a trench. Ah. Is that right? So just tell me about Sheffield. Well, I didn't in write trench. this, so you know, it's not a song that I wrote. Oh, it's, it's, the lyrics um, are found. When I was started doing air levels back in the seventies, early seventies, I was in the local history library looking for information for a project that I was doing for one of uh, I think it was my history A level. And I came across this article, and I think it was in the Sheffield Register, and it was a poem written by a young man who was in the trenches, 1915, and it's basically a poem about what he was thinking about, what he was missing most, which was Sheffield. And I had it for years, and I really liked it, and I always thought it'd make a good song, but I never really put my mind to it. And then about three or four years ago, and we were coming up to the 2014 and the centenary of the First World War, I suddenly thought, well, I'll try and put a tune to it. So I put a tune to it. Kind of created a chorus out of it as well. So one of the verses became a chorus. So it's it's a really, it's a lovely poem, you know. Okay, well... And it, I get lots of people asking me about it. Right, so yeah. we'll listen to this extended poem. Set to music. It's not that long. By actually. Peter. Well, no, I know, yeah. but you, you've, you've, uh, yeah. you provided the uh, the musical accompaniment yeah. to it, and and set it to music. Did you have to change the lyrics around at all when you did that? I did. I didn't. I didn't mess about with any of the the words. Yeah, yeah. You know, nothing. Just what I did is created a chorus in a sense, which is about the rivers. Yeah. You know, Locksley Porter, Rivlin <laughs> Chief, flow onward to the Don Your Chief. Ripple out your message brief, man must be free in Sheffield. Yeah. What yeah. do you know about the guy who wrote it? Nothing. They knew nothing about him. Um, do you have a as name? I said, it was in. No, nothing. Yeah, in the. I'm not sure. This was in the. I think it was in the Telegraph. So it obviously was. Well, the, the poem was sent to the Sheffield Register in 1915. The actual poem where I found it was in the Telegraph. And it just referred to this point being sent in 1915 to the register. Anonymous, nobody knew who he was. But he must, it actually says he must have been a Sheffielder because the way he speaks about the sitter, you know, he talks about um, uh, Knickerpeckers. Yeah. The Knickerpeckers tap, tap, tap. And you would have to be a Sheffielder, really. Uh, to know what a knickerpecker is, because it was the person who put the kind of the slots, the teeth, in in files. Ah, yeah. You know, yeah. So he would sit there tapping, yeah, putting the teeth in the files. You know, he was called. I saw a picture of of women doing that actually, yeah. and on the internet, I think it wasn't. Um, 
people hadn't understood what they were doing. Yeah, and they didn't, they were doing something with bits of metal, but they weren't sure. But they were they were actually chiselling the teeth in yeah. files. You could, you could if you see. go to Kellam Island Museum, there's files there. You know, I think there's yeah. one for Victoria. Yeah, for uh, Jubilee yeah. or something I've like. Seen it, Absolutely yeah. stunning picture yeah. on the file. You know yeah. that someone's cut in. All done by a little yeah. chisel and a hammer. And yeah, so we're going to have Sheffield in a trench, and the poem is written a nomin and. I'll give the cat her teeth back anonymously. <laughs> and uh, so, thank you, Peter. Sheffield in the Trench. What would I like to see? No fear, not London, no, no Windermere, no Paris with its sky so clear. Give me a look at Sheffield. I see it in my mental eye, the valleys and the uplands I. The smoke-filled clouds that fill the sky The smoke that blackens Sheffield It's five small rills that slowly steal Past rolling mill and grinding wheel Their very names, they make me feel That I belong to Sheffield Locksley Porter, Rivlin Chief Flow onward to the Don, your chief And ripple out your message brief Man must be free in Sheffield I know each street and winding lane Oh yes, they're black, oh yes, they're plain but let me tread them once again And heaven will shine in Sheffield And I can hear as luck may up The knickerbockers tap, tap, tap The grindstones is the tilt rap, rap As if I was in Sheffield Locksley Porter, Evelyn Chief Flow onward to the Don, your chief And ripple out your message brief Man must be free in Sheffield And I, that blunt old Sheffield speech As none else to my soul can reach it knows not how to beg, beseech The tongue that spoke in Sheffield And here we are, what for you say To teach the Bosch the time of day And keep them far enough away From setting foot in Sheffield Locksley Porter, Evelyn Chief Flow onward to the Don, your chief 
And ripple out your message brief Man must be free in Sheffield Man must be free in Sheffield Man must be free in Right, Peter, thank you very much for Sheffield in a Trench. And uh, it's a shame that we don't know the guy's name, so mm. we can't actually credit him for his wonderful words. Now, just tell me something before we go. Where next? Who? You. Where next? No, who next? Where, where next? next? Where next? Where next? Let me think. Um, yeah, just carry on. Retired. Kind of enjoying life. Still with the Morris team, so I also started dancing with Hansworth, which is a longsword team. So Monday night is Morris practice, Wednesday night is Hansworth practice, and then the odd folk club or still go to festivals. Still haven't changed, really. You know, I'm still very much into the folk scene. Which all you happens know? in a pub. Comedy Usually happens in the yeah. pub, you know, kind of say that or a beer tent. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so, yeah, just, uh, just tell me a little bit of something about the is it Christmas Eve ritual where they where you go around the some of the pubs. Is it Christmas Eve? Um, uh, what's the one at Granoside? I know I've been up to try and see you once or twice and always got there after you've finished. You mean Boxing Day? Is it Boxing Day? But yeah, it's sorry, boxing, boxing Day. day. Hansworth dance obviously at Hansworth on Boxing Day. And Grenoside do their dance at Grenoside on Boxing Day. Yeah. You know. Um, and you end up with a bucket of beer to share. Yeah, we drink beer. And um, dip your glass in. Yeah. Uh, City Morris, we always dance on New Year's Day. So we always dance um, 12 o'clock New Year's Day outside the cathedral. Do about an hour's dancing. Then we all go to the gardener's rest. Right. Down Neep's End and have a sing song. And then you usually go off to somebody's house for a curry. Right. And we've been doing that for 20 yeah. odd years now. So, so Boxing Day, tell me about Boxing Day. Well, Boxing Day is, it's not City Morris, it's Grenoside and Hansworth. Basically, Sheffield's fortunate to have two longsword traditional teams. Longsword dancing is quite peculiar to Yorkshire. Uh, and Sheffield has two, Hansworth Longsword and Grenoside. Longsword, and um, they do their main performances on Boxing Day at about eleven o'clock in the morning. So then, if you go to Hansworth or Grenoside, watch the dancing, go into the pub afterwards, and they'll sing the local carols. Uh, that's another tradition that Sheffield's quite famous for. After the first Sunday after Armistice Day, the um, Royal at Dunworth, Blue Ball. And various other pubs all have carol sessions. And these are traditional songs, traditional carols that are peculiar to Sheffield, you know. And if you go to either the Blue Ball or Dunworth on a Sunday, once the uh, carol sessions are in full swing, you'll have great difficulty getting in and you'll bump into people from who come up from Bristol, London, Newcastle, just to come to a Sheffield carol session. Well, this is where all the talent is, I know, isn't it? I I mean, it's, it's the hub of the world, Sheffield, as we all know. Play, you know yeah. It's amazing. Yeah. Right, Peter, where do you see your music going from now? 
I just wait to see. Well, I haven't written a song for ages now, you know, for two years. And I don't really worry about it. I'll just wait for one to come. And when it comes, that's it. I've got about three or four songs that I can't finish. You know, I just cannot finish them. I've got the tune and I've got probably three or four verses, but it's not complete. No. And at least one I've been messing I've been messing with it for 10 years, at least 10 years. Well, quite a long gestation period <laughs> for anything. Well, it's about right for a novel, actually. I know, I know, I know, I know. Right, so thank you very much for coming up and talking to us today, it's Peter. Been a pleasure. And thanks for your tracks. And I have to say, <laughs> I have thoroughly enjoyed it <laughs> because it's a long time since I've spent this much time talking to you. Mm. And uh, I've got to find out things that I didn't know either, mm. and I've known you a long number of years. So thanks very much for coming, Peter. Thank you. Thank you for inviting me. It's been a pleasure. You're more than welcome. And just before I go, just in case you're wondering what the sloppy poem was that I wrote for Annie, I do believe it was for her 50th birthday. And I have it here. And the poem is was simply called For Annie. If every rose would have a voice... It would no voice but thine. And still that midnight with its song, Eternal forty-nine. And if each stem arose in chant Of thee alone to sing, Each petal fall, thy name would call, And thorn would cease his sting. Right, if that's sloppy enough for you, I'll go now. Find that without fail vibrations from the engine room They're gonna get you home safe soon Well, that's all for this week's show, folks. I hope you enjoyed your free podcast from Urban Tiger Radio. And if you've hit that subscribe button, you'll be hearing from us again in a week's time. So it's a goodbye from me and a... From Nelly. Bye-bye. Keeps the fire burning